you have your Bibles with you today, your electronic Bibles, or you need a Bible, there's one in front of you in a chair, probably a blue one. You can have that if you don't have a Bible. It's yours to keep. They were donated for that purpose. And we're in 2 Corinthians. So if you want to go to 2 Corinthians, I'll give you a hint. It's right after 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament towards the back. Does that help more? Or that the, the, the phone makes it much easier, 2 Corinthians. So we're in 2 Corinthians. We're going to start that today. But I wanted to begin with a little history of one of the authors of a different book in the Bible, and that would be James. James the Just. James, if you didn't know, was the brother of Jesus. He is the author of that book, James. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he was called two names, James the Just, and this one you'll laugh at, Old Camel Knees. First of all, why was he called James the Just? It was because he was a protector of the people. The name Just means protector, bulwark. Everyone could trust James. Whether you were a Christian or not, he was a man of integrity, and you could trust him. He was James the Just. But why old camel knees? Well, the story comes from a second century Christian named Hegesis. I can't even say it. I'm just going to... Struggle through it. I practiced that like five times, so I'm going to tell you that. Hegesippus. There we go. Hegesippus. He wrote, James was found often alone in the temple on his knees begging for God to forgive the Jews, of which he was one, that he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees became hard like that of a camel. Have you ever seen been to the zoo or you've ever seen a camel's knees, you know what I'm talking about. So James suffered daily in prayer for his people to know the truth that Jesus was their Messiah. He eventually suffered a very horrible death in 62 AD because of his testimony of the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, if you know the whole story, they brought him up to the top of the temple mount where the temple was and they wanted him to say or talk against the fact that, that Jesus uh, was, was not the Savior, was not the Messiah. But of course he would not do that, and he gave testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, and so they threw him off the Temple Mount. Now you would think that falling off that high up, he would have died, but he didn't die at that point. In fact, he actually got up, they began to stone him, they began to throw stones at him, and he was on his knees, and one of the priests yelled out, Stop! The just one is praying for us. But they didn't stop. And he was martyred uh, for his faith in Jesus. This same James wrote the beginning of his letter, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Peter also wrote, Rejoice even though you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, 
May you have peace in me, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the question isn't, will we suffer in this world? Is it? James said, we will suffer. Peter said, we will suffer. Jesus said, you will suffer. Your own experience is the true reality, isn't it? That we will suffer in this world. So the question is not will, but then the question becomes why? Why me? Why am I suffering? Why am I having to go through this? You ever asked that question before? Yeah. And then the next question becomes who do I blame? Who do I blame? If you ever read the book of Job before, you realize that he had three friends. <laughs> and they knew where to place the blame. They blamed Job and his sin. It must have been your fault that you're suffering all of these things. When bad things happen to people, people often blame someone else. Or sometimes they blame God. And sometimes they come to the conclusion that there is no God, there must not be a God, because if there was a God, and if He's the God of love and He loved me, then He wouldn't let these terrible things happen to me. If God loved me, I wouldn't be suffering like I am now. Maybe you've said that before. And if you have, I just want to encourage you today to listen to the truth of God's Word. If you think that you're not supposed to suffer, just let's look at 2 Corinthians. This is the beginning of the book. And the title of this message is that God is the God of all comfort. And in my thesis, if I was writing this as a dissertation, which I'm not, but if I was, my thesis would be suffering is useful for every Christian. And 2 Corinthians 1-11 through gives us seven proofs that thesis is true. Suffering is useful for all Christians. Seven proofs I want to share with you today. Real quickly, verse 3, you'll truly know what it means to be blessed. We sang about that. Verse 4, you'll learn how to comfort others. Verse 5, you'll understand what it means to pick up your cross. Verse 6, you'll lead others to salvation. Verse 7, your hope will be unshaken. Verses 8-10, through 10, you'll learn to rely on God like never before. And verse 11, you'll embrace global prayer. With that, let's pray together. Father, may you bring to us a word today that can comfort us. For we may know in theory that you're the God of all comfort, but Lord, right now, we're hurting. For one reason or another, many of us here are suffering. And we don't necessarily know why, but we want to trust you. We don't want to blame you. We want to put our faith in you more than ever before. So God, help us today. Hear the truth and let the, the, the truth of this word, maybe for the first time it's a seed planted in us, may it grow and may it grow in stronger in our lives every day that we know that we can, you will use this suffering in our lives for many reasons. I pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So here we go, verse by verse, through the Bible the way every church should be teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. You know, shortly after Jesus was resurrected, 
the disciples got together with all the others, the 11 specifically. Of course, um, Judas, the betrayer, was not there. He had hanged himself. He was not in the picture anymore. So they said we must, they, they felt 12 was important, so they called on uh, uh, God to, to give them a 12th. They, they came up with Matthias. That was the, the 12th uh, disciple at the time. However, the New Testament shows us that there was um, perhaps a different 12th uh, disciple. Disciples are apostles, called apostles. And that one was Paul, the apostle Paul, who was um, God, or Jesus appeared to him. So is Paul the 12th? Is he the 13th? Maybe this is when God came up with the baker's dozen. I don't know. Okay, But what I do know is that Paul was undeniably called by God to share the gospel. Amen? Yeah. And he had Timothy with him. Paul, as we learned a couple weeks ago, I think it was, Paul didn't like to be alone. He liked to do ministry with others. I don't like to preach to empty seats. I like it when we're all here together. We're ministering to one another. We're worshiping God together. So I'm glad you're here. Paul had Timothy, his brother in Christ, to the church of God that's in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. That means he was sending this letter specifically to Corinth, but it was to be read to all the saints in this whole region of Achaia. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was a common introductional uh, introduction to any letter that Paul wrote. Grace is the Greek word charis. Peace is the Greek word irene. It was not uncommon for people in that day to name their children charis and irene. Grace and peace. We do the same thing today. uh, Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father. How do you pronounce that? By the way, my wife and I had that discussion. Is it blessed or is it blessed? Perhaps it's both. (laughs) Is it read or read? Is it envelope or envelope? Blessed or blessed, however we say it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, which is where I got the title from. Paul is about to explain why God is the God of all comfort. The first reason really why Christians will suffer and it's useful for us is that number one, you will truly know what it means to be blessed. You'll truly know what it means to be blessed. I'm going to spend a lot of time in this first point. So don't be alarmed if we go along and you're like, geez, he's got six more to go. (laughs) Blessed is probably the most used word in the Christian's vocabulary. Out of all the words we say about Christianity, isn't blessed one of those words that, I mean, Lord, bless this meal, bless my trip, bless my kids, bless, bless, bless. How many times do you say the word blessed in a day? A lot, right? But it's used so much that I wonder if sometimes Christians don't understand the real meaning of the word blessed or bless or blessing. So can I enlighten you? <laughs> can I share with you that in the, Greek word, in the Greek, the original text of the New Testament, the original word, there's actually two words, and we translate both of those words as bless, so therefore we kind of miss the meaning. So let me share with you the first one, the one that's used right here, is the word, Greek word, eulogio, eulogio, and it sounds a lot like a word you're familiar with, which is eulogy. When you give a eulogy at a funeral, you are speaking highly of that person. That's what a eulogy is. That's what it means, specifically, speaking highly of. 
So Paul would rightfully say here then, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm speaking highly right now of God, the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies. I can't say enough great things about our God. He's the God of all comfort. That's the correct usage of the word eulogio. But if someone asked Paul back then, hey Paul, how's it going today? Paul would not say, I am eulogio. He would not say, I am blessed. I am someone you can speak highly of. He wouldn't do that. He was humble. He would have taken the, the uh, fo- he would have followed Jesus. And Je- Jesus would have never said that. No, nobody would have asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, how are you today? I'm the son of God. You can say anything you want about me. It doesn't matter. I can do miracles. I'm highly favored. Even if you kill me, I will come back from the dead and haunt you like a thousand Halloween movies. He would never say that. He was humble. And that's not what the correct usage of it when we say, I am blessed. We should not say it in that way. Many people think that means that we're highly favored. I'd like to just kind of discredit that and say that that's not what blessed means. Highly favored by God does not make you better than other people. As oftentimes some Christians sound like when they say, I am blessed, with their nose up in the air. So if you consider yourself to be blessed, if you say, I am blessed, what do you mean? Let me help you say it correctly, mean it correctly. I know what my friend Jonathan means. Whenever I see my friend Jonathan, I ask him, hey, Jonathan, how are you doing today? He says, I'm blessed. Without hesitation, every time for 15 years, he's been saying it, I am blessed. And now I've known Jonathan for a long time, and I know his ups and downs. I know his struggles. I know that he has suffered a lot in life, yet he will tell you, it doesn't matter, I am blessed. Because he's using the correct word, makarios. The Greek word makarios means to be better off. To be better off. That's the correct word and correct understanding if you say, I am blessed. I am better off. It doesn't mean you're better off than other people or uh, God keeps putting good in your life and keeps you from the bad. It means you're better off regardless of your circumstances. Let's look at how Jesus used the word makarios in context. It's in Matthew 5. You might be familiar with his Sermon on the Mount. It starts off with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, what's the word Beatitude? It's the word blessing. The blessings. That's really Matthew 5, the blessings. And he says, beginning by saying in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. And if I go all the way down to verse 11, blessed are you, he's now very specific, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Better off are you when people persecute you because you stand up for me. You see the meaning of the word, I am blessed? Rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. They also persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you only say, I'm blessed when you're having a good day, then you're missing the point. 
But if you say, I am blessed, even when you're having a bad day, then you get it. Because being blessed does not matter what circumstances are going on in your life. Being blessed does not matter what kind of suffering you are going through. You are better off when you walk with God. Amen? Yeah. So suffering is useful for every Christian because you know what it means to be blessed. Now, will you remember that the next time you say blessed? I wonder. The next time you pray and you hear someone else pray, as I sat at our dinner table and I heard my daughter pray and I heard her use the word blessed about three different times and I was thinking in my head, like, what does she mean by that? What is she thinking when she says You'll do the same, I bet, now uh, that I brought it up. But think about the word to bless someone else is to speak highly of them. To be blessed is makarios, which means to be better off because you are with God. You are his child of God. In fact, there's a song out there called I Am Blessed, and it's one of my favorites, because it doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day when you're a child of God. Amen? Amen. Let's go on to verse 4. God comforts us in all our affliction, Paul says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the second proof is that you will learn how to comfort others. If you lost a parent, who knows how better, who knows better how to comfort others when they lose a parent? If you had cancer, who knows better how to comfort others when they get cancer? If you have conflict in a relationship, you've experienced that, who knows better how to help someone else that's having conflict? If you've overcome an addiction, who knows better to help someone else overcome. If you undergo any kind of pain, any kind of loss, any kind of tragedy, God will use your experience to bring comfort to others. Raise your hand if God has used your suffering to comfort others. Just look around the room. That's my proof. God uses our suffering to help others, to comfort others. And that's what Paul was saying emphatically. Verse 5, as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul was talking about sharing in Christ's sufferings. He says in Philippians 3.10, by the way, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That was Paul's chief aim. Like, I know I'm not Jesus, but I'm going to do everything I can to know him and the power of his resurrection. I will share in his sufferings. Jesus, in fact, said, if you would like to come after me, if you consider yourself to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that's how we get the word Christian, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then you should deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. It's one of my favorite verses, Luke 9.23. You shall... Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Thirdly, third proof, you'll understand what it means to pick up your cross. Have you ever really thought about what it means to pick up your cross? I mean, when you look at Easter and you, and, and you remember Easter and you realize that we see that Jesus had to pick up his cross, part of the crucifixion process was he carried his own cross, his own symbol of death, 
It's always interesting that we wear that around our neck. Would we wear a guillotine around our neck? A noose around our neck? No. But we wear a cross. He carried his cross to the top of the mountain. Of course, he couldn't do it. He was in so much pain and somebody had to help him. But he carried his cross. He picked up his cross. What does the cross represent? Suffering. Death. And I would say urgency. Urgency. Jesus could have simply said, deny yourself the pleasures of this world, suffer daily and follow me. That would be another translation for Luke 9, 23. We have some missionary friends in Chad, Africa, the Redford family. Known them for quite a while. They have five children. How do they live in Chad, Africa, in a remote village? Well, they live in a hut with a dirt floor, no electricity. There's constant political tension in their country. There's no medical help close by. In fact, the last time they had to get um, helicopter lifted out, which cost a lot of money. Um, they recently had to return back here because of the political problems in their area. So they suffer daily. Why? Because they want to translate the Bible in the people's language so they'll know Jesus. So they'll know the truth of the gospel. They do all of that for the gospel. Some Americans think a day without Starbucks is a day of suffering. You won't die if you don't get your Starbucks. You might fall asleep, but you won't die. But when you suffer as a Christian, especially when you suffer knowing that this could be your last day, will you live life with an urgency and a purpose? If you went to the doctors and they told you, hey, listen, you got one year to live, I bet every day you're going to live a little differently than you ever did before. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, pick up your cross. Today might be your last day. Live with urgency. Live with purpose. Even when you suffer. So suffering is useful because it helps us understand what it means to really pick up your cross daily. Verse 6. He says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and your salvation. I like that part. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort when you experience, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. But he adds this word, and salvation. He says, it's for your comfort, but it's also for salvation. So fourthly, you lead others to salvation when you suffer. And he would say, I, I don't get that. How is that possible? Help me make the connection. Well, Paul unashamedly preached the gospel even when they tried to kill him. And they did often try to kill him. Suffering often makes Christians more bold. You ever notice that? You, you read about that? You see that? It's like, oh, you're going to try to kill me for sharing the gospel? Christians called by God don't go in hiding because, because somebody told them to stop. You know, shut your mouth, don't talk about Jesus. They actually get more bold, <laughs> bolder. In fact, if you have some kind of um, story involving suffering and you credit the Lord, you trusted God and he got you through it, that's your story that you like to tell, isn't it? Yeah, because your story is part of his story for his glory. And so when we have a story that involves suffering, we tell people that story. I love hearing people's story when they talk about how they suffered. Not that they, I love to hear about that, but I love to hear how they gave God the credit. How God helped them through it. How they couldn't have done it without God. 
I don't know how I could have gotten through this if it wasn't for you, God. Suffering leads to salvation. People get saved when they hear your story. Verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, we also share in our comfort. What is hope? Hope is an expectation of something. Paul says that his hope for this church was unshaken. The word is, meanings, is actually means steadfast. It's trustworthy. It's stable. Unshaken. Stable. He could count on them to share in his suffering. That word share is another Greek word we're kind of familiar with. Then when I say at the end of the message, uh, before I dismiss you, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is koinonia. It means to share. The sharing of the Holy Spirit. We come together as we share one, with one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, when one member suffers, we all suffer. Are you suffering today? Are we suffering with you? Like, do you trust life of purpose to know about your suffering so we can suffer with you? Because that's the kind of church that I want to be a pastor of. That's the kind of church that you should want to be a part of. That if you're suffering, that you can come here on Sunday, on Wednesday, on any day, you can call up one of us and say, I'm suffering, I'm hurting, and I need you to cry with me, I need you to, to talk to me, I need you to be there for me. And they are there for you. We learned uh, from a great uh, speaker of a church down in Fort Worth, Texas, about how their church is like a hospital church. I've talked about that before. And that healing comes in community. That we help one another. And you need one another to be healed. I hope you believe that. I hope you see, as Paul said, that our hope is with the church that is unshaken. Your hope will be unshaken in us. Fifth proof. Moving on to verse 8, 9 and 10. A little bit of what Paul was going through here. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Probably Ephesus. That's the main city in Asia Minor. We, are so, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Paul thought he was going to die there. Indeed, we felt if we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope he will deliver us again. So what was this terrible thing that happened? Uh, scholars don't know exactly. We, don't have, we, we can trace back and see all the things that happened to Paul. Or we can go to 2 Corinthians uh, 11, which we'll get there at some point in the future as we go through 2 Corinthians, verse by verse here. And when we get to 11, we'll realize that Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times Paul was beat with 39 lashes. Three times he said, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. In fact, he was, he was pelted with stones to the point of he actually was knocked out, unconscious. They dragged him out, thought he was dead. And then he came back to life. He, he, he awoke. He woke up. Uh, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drifting at sea. Paul had been beaten for Christ, and he learned more than anything to rely on Christ. Because when you suffer as a Christian, you will learn to rely on God like never before. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When you 
suffer, you learn to rely on God. One of my favorite stories of Paul is when he was in Philippi. He and Silas were beaten, were arrested, were put in a dark, dingy jail cell. They were bloodied. They were awaiting trial. They didn't know if in the morning they would be sentenced to death. Were they worried? As they, lay, as they sat in this nasty jail cell, chained up, don't know what's going to happen next, were they worried? What would you do in that situation? What would you do? They prayed, and they sang hymns. I don't know about you, but <laughs> if I just got beat up, I'm arrested, I'm sitting in a jail cell, am I going to start singing? I know my wife would. Okay, that's a given, right? <laughs> but they were praising God. They were blessed. They were better off. Then God did a miracle. In that same night, God did a miracle. Now, you might think, oh, the miracle was the, the earthquake that came and the jail cells were opened and they escaped. No, it's not what happened. There was an earthquake. That was a miracle. The jail cells did open. The miracle was not that. The miracle was the guy that was in charge of the jail wanted to kill himself because he was afraid that the prisoners had escaped. And Paul yelled out and said, don't do it. We're all here. And the man said, what do I got to do to get saved? And, God, and Paul shared the gospel with this man. And not only him, but his whole family got saved that day. Their eyes were open to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah and that he did come to die for their sins. That was the miracle. It led to salvation. Once again, suffering led to salvation. And once again, Paul was like, God, you did it again. You just keep doing it again and again. I didn't know how we were going to get out of this one, but you found a way. Amen? Yes, when you suffer as a Christian, you learn to rely on God like never before. And lastly, verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. So many will give thanks on our behalf for the grace granted us through the prayers of many. No doubt Paul believed in the power of prayer. The power of prayer. God, he understood. You know, God's the power source. Our prayers plug into him. But here Paul's emphasizing something else really special about prayer. And I don't know if you, well, I know many of you do understand this. There's a need for, glo, I'll call it global prayer. Global prayer. Because many, he says, many will give thanks when many pray. I don't know about you, but I'm always intrigued when a, a, a video goes viral. Aren't you? I mean, isn't that just fascinating that that somebody can make a video, send it out, and with probably within minutes, that same video is being seen by people all over the world. Like that, millions of people just saw that video. Just like that. Like, that is always amazing to me. Well, here Paul is saying and encouraging us to make prayer go viral. That's what he's saying. Let prayer be viral. Let it, let it go global. May the whole world pray for what God's will is, may it be done. And so that way, many will give thanks. Now you know, and I know, that Christians are suffering all over this world right now. But do we just know? Or are we actually praying along with them? One of the news uh, feeds that I like to look at is called the Christian Post. The Christian Post is something you can add to your news feed. And when you look at the Christian Post, you'll see tons of articles of of things that are happening all over the world. It's, 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 your, it's a good source for, for globally understanding what's happening all over the world. 
when you look at that and you see that, you realize, oh my gosh, that's happening right now. And then you could pray for that right now. I don't know if you remember this past summer, there was a woman doctor in Haiti who was kidnapped. And everybody was praying for her. And praise God, she got returned unharmed. Because global prayer, global prayer. And I always like to share this, this story I heard a long time ago of a woman who woke up in the middle of the night in America. She felt the urge to pray for her grandson who was a missionary in a third world country far, far away from where she was at. And she didn't know why, but she just woke up in the middle of the night and she felt like God was calling her to pray. And she prayed for him and she didn't know and she just prayed and prayed and prayed and then she fell back asleep and she realized that at that very moment, at that time, way over there, her grandson was surrounded by the enemy. They were going to come in and raid his house and, and kill him. That was the purpose of it. And something changed their minds and they left. At that very moment, the power of prayer. Paul taught that Christians should pray for everyone all over the world. Global prayer. And I pray that we embrace global prayer as we suffer and we see other Christians suffering as well. And may we remember from today, from these first 11 verses, that God is the God of all comfort. And may we remember these wonderful words of James, the just, old camel knees. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that this testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let it have its full effect so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering is useful for every Christian. Seven proofs. If you're suffering today, maybe you need some prayer. We have a prayer team that will be up here during our final song. If you'd like to come forward and receive prayer, they will pray with you. If you wanted to, us to continue praying for you, we have a connection card and a chair in front of you. Please fill that out and put that in the basket, one of the baskets on the high top tables, and we will pray for you. You can put it as confidential. You can put it as um, for the whole church to pray. But we want to pray for you. We want to suffer with you as we walk with our Lord Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray, and we'll, our team will come up and play our, our final song. Father... Thank you for your word today as we've begun this book, 2 Corinthians. Thank you for Paul and, and his team as they lead by example for us. And may we understand this truth, Lord, that even when we suffer, our first instinct is to say, why, God? Why? Why me? But God, we, we may never know that answer. But then we may want to blame you. And God, help us to see that you're not to blame. Sin is to blame. Sin is the cause of all suffering. And that we should recognize that. But even in the midst of that, it is useful. It will help us. It will perfect us as we desire to be sanctified, to grow holy, to be holy as you are holy. So Father, use it for us, for your glory, ultimately. And may you, may you give us one another. May we love one another as we suffer with one another. In Jesus' name. Church said.